0: So, you just made it through our most boring podcast ever. But we realized we didn't give very much of a personal touch to that, so today we'll give you some personal experience with the tech revolution and how it's affected our brains. Welcome to Surviving Seminary. Welcome, all. So I just wanted to start out with my own personal story. We talked on the last podcast about how tech is kind of pushing out our ability to be bored. And we're almost treating boredom as if it's an evil thing. But really, that's not the case, is it? No, we need boredom to be creative. And I'm also kind of combining this with another book that I've just read called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Um, author of Deep Work. So I'll be combining some of that uh, in this episode to give a little bit of my own personal uh, testimony, if you will, of how tech has influenced me. So around 2002 to 2005, I was doing my undergraduate uh, work, and I remember being able to read really deeply to make connections between what I was reading in one book with maybe another book that I had read, or another book in a different course, even, um, or my own research interests, and I was able to focus on things. I was able to just really dig in and maybe read two or three hundred pages in a few days at the latest. Um, I was also able to focus on papers and I could write out you know five, ten pages of text um, pretty easily in an evening without feeling very fatigued. In fact, I usually felt pretty energized about it. Um, but in between that time and in there, I got married, I had kids, um, life got different. I pursued a career in a retail, uh, as a manager. And then I really felt like, you know, I'd missed it and that I was supposed to be in seminary this whole time. So I went back to seminary and I found that it was a lot harder to read I found it was a lot harder to just sit there and focus on what I was reading. I couldn't read for more than, you know, 10 or 15 pages without feeling fatigued, even in subjects maybe that were used to be really interesting to me and they still were interesting. Um, It was also harder to come across paper ideas uh, before I would just be kind of, you know, moving along and I was doing great. Uh, with figuring up new paper ideas all the time. And it just didn't seem like it was flowing like that. My writing didn't seem as cohesive and well thought out. Um, and so I kind of wondered, you know, what happened? I mean, one thing between my undergrad and my seminary experience was I got a family. I got married to my beautiful wife, and I had four boys, three of whom I had before seminary and one of whom I had during seminary. So I wondered, maybe, maybe it's just that, you know? I've got a whole lot of demands on my attention and my time now. Maybe that's it. But I wasn't really satisfied with that. I wasn't really sure how that would affect the quality like I did. But I thought of that. And um, you know, my wife sometimes felt that way. And she felt bad about that sometimes. But you know, it really wasn't that. So maybe maybe I'm just too old. Maybe I am not able to think and focus and read like I used to. But that didn't seem to be the case. I know plenty of Uh, older New Testament scholars that do a lot better at reading and focusing than I do. So what was it? And I got to thinking about it, and I realized through this Bored and Brilliant uh, book that we talked about last time, and through this digital minimalism book, that a lot of it has to do with the tech that we have. When I was in undergrad, Facebook was an invitation-only social media platform still. Uh, They didn't have like buttons Uh, They didn't have a news feed for you to catch up on all your friend's stuff. You had to go find their posts uh, or their profiles and look at things there. Um, And it was just a lot different uh, in between all then and now, because now we are constantly like I found myself constantly looking at Facebook, wanting to post funny memes, getting likes, shares, all of that fun stuff.
1: Do you think that um, you're talking mostly about social media as far as distractions are concerned? Do you feel like when you're talking about tech, um, as you were discovering that, do you feel like anything about digital content as far as the way that you read
0: had any sort of impact? I think so. And I don't mean to say that um, it's bad. I mean, we've obviously had posts here that uh, have... We use Facebook for one thing, and we've also, you know, we have a post on ebooks and the values of ebooks and reading and all this. But we, we process differently whenever we read something in a physical book versus when we read it on a computer. I feel like, unless you're really well trained at that, um, with a computer and our way of using the internet, we kind of hit, jump around from one thing to another and it's hard to really digest uh those kinds of things. I'm not saying that you can't do that with an ebook. There are times where that's way more helpful to use an ebook for those things, but I found that I can't I I am now coming to the point where I almost almost demand to have a physical book and that's even a development from when we had that episode that was a couple months ago. But I don't mean to say that we need to be luddites and uh don't use tech at all for anything. We, we use tech ourselves, and we just need to be able, and that's the argument of Cal Newport's digital minimalism, is that we need to be careful to use the technology in ways that is most beneficial for us.
1: It's also Manush Zomorodi's argument that tech is not a bad thing in and of itself. It just has to be used wisely. So, okay. Now that you've shared a little bit of your personal experience, um, I suppose I can share a little bit of mine. Uh, I feel like my time in which I've been passionate about my education has only begun since after college. Mm. Um, Undergrad, I should say. That feels like another universe away from me right now um, for a lot of different reasons, where I was spiritually and where I was as far as my commitment to being a student. Mm. When I became a Christian... One of the things that happened was my commitment to study and ultimately to being a student as I came to seminary. It shot through the roof, I mean, relative to where I was. Mm -hmm. So I can't say that I thought about a lot of those things when I was in undergrad. Um, I was in undergrad around um, somewhere around the same range where you were, Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember Facebook when it began and how different it was then and how it is now, and I wasn't a social media... Fanatic or anything, but I was probably more interested in Facebook half the time than I was in in stuff related to my coursework. So mm-hmm. tisk tisk on me for, for on early me for all of that. But um, I mean, I will say that these days uh, it hasn't gotten any easier for me, in spite of how much better of a student I feel like I am. I feel like the distractions are are huge. Mm-hmm. And um, everything that Rody talks about in her book about feeling like you can't focus and feeling like, and, and you already said yourself, reading a certain small number of pages and then all of a sudden feeling like you've got to check your phone or you've mm-hmm. got to check on that email yep. or on Facebook, it's, it's a big problem for me. Mm-hmm. And I've tried, we talked about the... Um, it was in the transaction costs episode, but I can't remember what category this fits into, but just ways in which, yeah, it was about upping your transaction costs on things that you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to like, keep the keep the laptop put away while I'm reading a book. Obviously, if it's a book that's on my computer, that's different, but um, keep the laptop shut and turned off. Um, and I probably need to up that even more and say, just, you know, just don't just don't even get it out of my backpack, or mm-hmm. maybe even don't even bring it. If I can just say to myself, this is a day where I'm going to be doing nothing but reading out of these physical books that I have, I have no reason, I have no good reason anyway to have it with me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and I hate that that's the the place that we're at. I hate that that's the place where we're at like on a societal level, right? and it affects me on a personal level, too. Um, so... So I resonate with what you're saying, although for me it applies a little bit more to the present time mm-hmm. than I can think about it in the past.
0: Right. I was wanting to say a little bit, I've I've been really fascinated. A lot of people think, um, especially in uh, Western culture, you know, when I was a student beginning in undergrad, a lot of people kind of poo-pooed on the idea of oral cultures and, oh yeah, it's like one big game of telephone and people can't remember everything and all this. But I've found, and there have been a lot of studies done on this, that they these traditions are actually a lot more conservative and they stay relatively static compared to what we think. And memory for people was way more powerful uh, than it is now. I mean, if you read uh, like Craig Keener, he's got some books on the memory of the ancients and students. Sometimes uh, rhetoricians and philosophers would make their students stay in bed until they could recite everything that they had heard yesterday in the main lecture from memory. Um, And so they would have like little note aids and whatnot on there, but there were times, there were even instances where someone would give a speech, and some other person with a really good memory would sit in the audience and just to mess with them would say, you stole that speech from me, and I can prove it, and then go ahead and give the exact same speech. And just... I mean, you think about it from our own uh, experience as well. Um, You know, and I mentioned this before, I used to be able to tell you 15 people's phone numbers right off the bat, and barely anyone can do that anymore because we've now got crutches uh, in our phones that do that for us, and that's okay, but it does change our memory when we have things that we rely on. Yeah, this isn't like something
1: that has um, been weeded out of humanity as like some some innate capacity that that uh, that has been lost or something. Mm-hmm. It's possible to do these things, like uh, in talking about the ancients and what they could remember, and these days there are memory competitions out there that people enter yeah. where they will, um, in one part of the competition, their task will be to memorize the order of an entire deck of cards that's been randomized and then take a few minutes and be able to say it back. Or... Um, a list of long names or a list of long uh, randomized numbers, all these little things where the ironic part is that people who participate in those things will tell you, if you ask them, what's the application for this? They'll say, "Um, well, really nothing. Unless you're doing memory competitions, there's really not much of a practical application for it. Mm -hmm. And that's because technology has um, closed a lot of those gaps and made it so we don't have to memorize long um, long traditions and stories the way that the ancients had to. Um, and yet, even though we don't have to do a lot of the stuff like that anymore, it does have side effects when we allow technology to do so much for us that are still negative in the present day.
0: Yeah. So there was a major technological switch that was happening in ancient Greece, and um, if you read and squid, which is a book about, um, actually it's about helping use neuroscience to try to figure out dyslexia and how we read and things of that nature from what my memory is. And I, I read it several years ago, your memory of it, my memory of it, which as we've said is maybe impaired, but, uh, um, Socrates, the great philosopher, would not write anything down. The only thing we have recorded of him is from Plato and Aristotle and his followers, Xenophon, who uh, wrote down things that he said, but he didn't write them down because he was afraid that this medium would cause people not to be able to remember much and think as deeply. And some of his uh, concerns you know, were valid and some of them weren't. Um memory probably did go and take a hit there. But now we think about that. What's our next major media revolution is technology that we've got now where it's all on the internet and we are hyper-connective and we use uh, hyperlinks to move from one place to another and back and forth and we don't stay on something. And so it, it's really affecting our brains. We stop paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, because we just go to the next shiny thing that catches our attention and move on to the next bit. So all of that there is not necessarily directly from anything in Cal Newport's digital minimalism, but I just kind of wanted to go over some of the things uh, that he talks about. And he talks about the need for solitude. So that's, you know, similar to Zomorodi's boredom, but he uh, uses a couple authors that do a study um, to, to talk about solitude being the absence of communication with another human being. So you can be alone and have no solitude because you're looking at your Facebook or you're getting texts and phone calls and whatnot. Or you can be in a crowded room and have solitude because you are focused out of talking to any particular person or whatnot on there. But um, then he talks about. Um, taking a tech detox. So this is like Zomorodi's uh, experiments on steroids. But for 30 days, you remove all optional technology uh, of the most recent um, era. So if your job doesn't require you to be on social media or to take text messages or whatnot, he recommends taking a 30-day detox from all this and then after the 30 days, you can come back to optional technology, but he wants you to evaluate it for what it the value it actually brings to your life and then figure out ways to maximize that value while minimizing all of the other distractions that maybe that tech brings with it.
1: Seems like you kind of need that, that removal first. Yeah. Because if you're trying to make that assessment in a state of, um, I don't, I don't want to say like dependence upon it, But, I mean, it kind of is if you're just using it so much and you feel like it's a real big part of your life, then it's going to be hard to determine as clearly what is the absolute necessity and and what's extraneous. So coming back after that period would probably allow you to have a much clearer perspective on those things.
0: Yeah, and so actually Cal Newport talks about um, that psychologists have determined that it's a behavioral addiction. So it doesn't have quite the like you're not going to f- go through physical withdrawals when you pull out this but it will be very difficult there'll be a lot of anxiety uh when you first do it and i realized that i had kind of done this and you've done it a little bit at least with like social media we had comp- i have i had been facebook free for over a year before we started back up for the surviving seminary podcast and i'd been for several months yeah and so I I know the difference between when I was there before which I had had an account for 8 or 9 years at that point um and now like before I was constantly wanting to check things and I was kind of craving for people to like what I, I shared so I'd try to find funny memes and all of this stuff that would have af- fit would affect my audience and get their likes but all the gifs yeah or
1: <laughs> or gifs I guess people pronounce it Differently. Yes. And I've heard people get into fights about how you pronounce it. Yes. I say jiff. Yes.
0: Anyway, sorry. I'm a GIF guy, but sorry.
1: I'll say that um another thing actually something that I just did was that I took um I took Chrome off of my home screen on my phone mm. because I was just like checking on the podcast like incessantly. mm mm-hmm. And I felt like I was getting carried away by like analytics and things like that. And the same is kind of applying right now to Facebook too, because we have the page and you, mm-hmm. have, you can check on the page. And so I took Chrome off of my home screen and I mentioned this, this other thing in the transaction costs episode is that I replaced it with Firefox Focus. Mm-hmm. And every time, if, if you don't remember from that episode, Firefox Focus has a button in the corner of the app. Uh, where when you tap it, it clears all of your history and all of your searches. And um, that's done kind of as as a security thing, but it also has the benefit of clearing out all that stuff so that it's not going to open back up to that same page. And also I have to re-enter in my password every single time. So I'm fighting the good fight to not be distracted by these things. Mm. And there's a good, a really just good, wholesome reason for my doing it just because um, I I guess what I've come to discover is that none of it helps anyway. I mean, it's kind of like the watched pot that never boils Mm -hmm. um, sort of analogy. Another one that I heard my uncle say once, and this was in the context of grilling, was if you're looking, it ain't cooking. Have you heard (laughs) that one? Nope. And I think, you know, that it's kind of like the watched pot never boils, but um, actually there's a very practical reality to the fact that if you're always lifting the lid mm-hmm. of the grill then odds are you're actually hampering the cooking of the meat right because you're all you're letting all that trapped heat out and it has to reheat constantly mm-hmm. and really the same thing is true for the podcast because if I'm always checking on like the fruit of the podcast and what it's producing and who's listening and all of those things this is this is opportunity costs yeah. i by definition, cannot be spending that time on actually investing into the podcast to make the podcast better um, in terms of its creative content and in terms of producing it um, and all the important things that go into building it up and making it what we want it to be. And so I've seen in that regard how technology is distracting and really counterproductive at times.
0: Yeah. So we definitely need to go through and make sure we're maximizing our value for even our own pe- podcast facebook. We're based. talking
1: about all this stuff and like if we're not if we're just talking to you about it and yet we've got all of our problems with our tech stuff and we're not putting it into practice at all what we're saying then what good is this mm-hmm. to you guys? So we just um we just want to be open and honest about that yep. and uh and accountable to one another,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So, one experience that I just had, thanks actually to Jason and Valerie, uh, was that we, we were in the middle of a kid swap, not really a kid swap, but a swapping babysitting uh, opportunity where um, Jason and Valerie took our kids uh, and watched our kids overnight until the next day after about lunchtime. And we went out to a place here in Kentucky called Shaker Village, um, which the Shakers are a group that's similar to the Quakers um, in that they shook and danced back in the day. They did not uh, believe in um, marriage or reproduction uh, and whatnot. So nobody ever was born into the community. They just had to have converts, and eventually all of those people. Um, that seems like up. a
1: real sign of a of a truly believing apocalyptic community. Yeah, like if they are fully convinced that the that the end of days is. Here, then that's going to reduce that drive to to reproduce and to have families, yes?
0: Yeah. And I don't know a whole lot about shaker beliefs, um, whether that was what was driving it or whatnot. Do you know much about it?
1: I guess I don't. I guess that's just kind of an assumption on my part, so maybe not the wisest thing for me to just kind of jump into like that. Right.
0: Um, What sort of biblical studies person am I? right. No, but the point is they have all these really cool houses from like several hundred years ago and they've modernized them. There's like a TV in your room and all this, but it's pretty sparse. Um, The, uh, yeah, I kept going and there's an authentic shaker AC unit sitting outside burring like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely uh, been modernized a little bit, but it's still pretty spartan um, and the TV is in a cabinet and, you know, when we got there, we were just so tired. Uh, we actually took a nap. But I had like two or three hours of just like no, no TV. I, did, I had accidentally left my phone in the bathroom at the house. So I had no t- uh, phone on that, which that was fine. And that really didn't present any kind of a crisis. So I just sat there and I had brought a book. I read through most of a book and determined how well it would or wouldn't help me in my comprehensive exams coming up. And I spent a lot of time just kind of listening and watching people walk by outside our room and thinking about what it must have been like to be a shaker. And it was just a really relaxing, rejuvenating time the entire trip. And I felt energized. I felt confident about where I'm going to go with my exams and all that to say that break from technology was essential to my life. So getting into that, so that's a practical experience that we have, but what are some other practical experiences that um, maybe we can use to help our seminary life? And one thing, like I said, I I took some physical books with me on that trip, and so I think we need to continue to develop that ability to just sit with a text and read in a distraction-free environment. I I found I was comprehending a lot better, I was doing a lot better, I, it was sparking more ideas than it had in a long time just sitting there reading those things. One thing that's more practical about that as well is I am finding writing down things in a notepad and paper is actually better. I thought at one point that you know doing a computer would be easier, but there's just a lot of things about that. One, you've got that all that temptation to get onto Facebook or whatnot. And then you've got the fact that your transaction costs are going up because you're switching from reading to typing in your computer and then back to reading and whatnot. And yeah, you have a little bit of that when you're writing down, but it's a lot easier to write like a short little note that kind of summarizes your thoughts or whatnot than it is to get in a computer where you're interested in typing up something big.
1: I also wonder about what the, um, I guess the kinesthetic difference is between writing something down in a book versus typing something about a book on your computer, Mm -hmm. if there's any sort of sensory benefit. Um, And I guess, frankly, I imagine there's the possibility that either one could have particular benefit for one over another. However, you are engaging that more basic, for us today in these days, uh, and earlier developed handwriting um, in in what you're taking down.
0: Yeah. And I think part of it, like uh, Cal Newport actually talks about how he writes down um, things that come to him, goals and whatnot in his uh, notepads. And he says this statement, which is true for me, is that he doesn't really usually have to review it very much because the act of writing is what kind of helps set it down in his brain and in his memory. And I think part of that is the fact that, you know, if you're typing you have a a bit of muscle memory that's developed so you don't actually have to think about the fact that you are typing this out so it's almost like the only thing you've got is your fleeting thought and it's coming out on the page faster than your body can process it whereas when you're writing it out you're having to write it out you're looking at yourself writing it and whatnot so it's just engaging a lot more features and slowing the process down. I've heard about studies where they
1: um, tested the recall ability of students who took notes via typing versus students who took notes via pen and paper. Mm -hmm. And um, the tendency in typing is to type out more verbatim because you have the capacity to type quickly and do that Mm -hmm. to a certain degree. Whereas if you are um, writing it down, you have to, conceptualize it more because you probably don't have time to write it all out at the pace that the instructor is speaking. And so you have to reword it. You have to put it into your own thoughts and process it a little bit more. So that can be a useful um, tool as you go back and review because you're going to remember it in a different way.
0: Yeah. um, One book that if you want a reference about this uh, is Charles Duhigg's Smarter, Faster, Better. And he talks about um, this particular public school that was failing and they were giving them all the tech. They were giving them tablets and computers and all this. And then they, they said, you know what? We're going to take a dumbed down approach. We're going to go back to papers and pencils and then that school as a whole because they required it of their teachers, they required it of their students. They did a whole lot better um, in test scores because they were having to slow down the inflow of information. And that's the thing. We have so much information. Our brain is just going... And if you slow down, then like you said, you are having to summarize, you're having to think about it in your own terms of your experience that will help you to, you just write that word of like, that reminds me of the time I got bit by a dog or something like that. And then it's fused a lot more in your memory that way than it is if I'm just writing out what the teacher says.
1: As, uh, as I'm looking upon the notes, uh, the outline that you've done up for today, you also talk about um, really just being willing to be alone with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard one for me because, again, if I take my phone and my phone's in my pocket, these days, more often than not, if I find myself alone and I find things are quiet, then the phone comes out and I'm looking at something. And I imagine part of that is because life is stressful, and a lot of the stress of life comes from busy little children that -hmm. are running around. I, I guess I shouldn't be saying... I shouldn't be feeling this like as much as Val does. I mean, Val stays home with the kids and she is like in that like every Mm -hmm. moment almost virtually on some days. But, um, but I feel some of that too. And sometimes when there's quiet, you know, finally there's, there's some quiet. Um, Or if I come home from working on things uh, and studying and then after I get home and after a little while, then there's some quiet for me it's like an escape. Yeah. And all of the thoughts, which oftentimes involve, involve anxiety and involve, um, awareness of all of the things that are on my plate. Mm-hmm. It just leads to that, um, to that reflex of getting the phone out. But, um, what's some of your experience of just being able to get away and truly be
0: alone with your thoughts? Well, I mean that, that trip to Shaker village was uh part of that. And, It is. It's really uncomfortable, um, especially if you haven't detoxed uh, somewhat. And like I said, we didn't, I just read this book uh, and I finished it up actually this morning at about four in the morning. Um, But um, I've done some detoxing, so it wasn't terrible for me, but it is a very difficult thing to just be quiet and just let your brain go. But as he talks about, he calls it uh, Cal Newport, that is a solitude deprivation that's rampant in our society. Um, like we can't be quiet. Um, and we're like rapidly, unlike previous generations, even my early experience as a child, um, there were just a whole lot more opportunities where you would just have to be bored because you were waiting on something or you know, you didn't have your phone that you could pull out and do stuff. If you wanted to get on a computer, there might have been a computer, but it was the family computer. And so there'd be times that dad was on there and you weren't going to get on there when dad was on there.
1: Even 10 years ago, you know, before I had a smartphone in my pocket and it was just a an old flip phone. Mm-hmm. It was so much easier back then because, yep. yeah, it was in my pocket, but I didn't really use it for anything except for making calls. I didn't even text back then. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, things have changed.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, um, so one of the things that he talks about to allow yourself to be alone with your thoughts and whatnot is actually getting a craft that you do. So it could be something, um, non-physical, like he talks about like coding. If you're actually a computer coder, that's what he does. Um, uh, but he also talks specifically and sees more value in getting your hands dirty, doing something that it requires physical, um, Interaction with the world and all that, and so there there's value to that. I want myself. I want to try to pick up um, some kind of a hobby or whatnot that makes me be like learn a skill that I use with my hands as a way to kind of you know help my brain be engaged with something else. But switching from this uh, that thought into how this applies to seminary, I think you know we mentioned it talking about Elijah last podcast, but The fact that if you are not able to be alone with your thoughts, it's going to be really hard for God. I mean, he can do anything, but he's going to want to talk in the quiet spots. And if you're constantly running off to the next thing, you're never going to get what he's saying
1: to you. I've never seen him pop up on my Facebook feed (laughs) This is
0: God direct messaging you.
1: (laughs) Although I think I have seen, like, you know, like as a joke, somebody... Who had created a Facebook page or something that's just called God?
0: Yeah, it's kind of satirical, I think.
1: Yeah, I've never seen that except for, uh, I've never seen that happen to me except for um, fakes and imitations. Right.
0: And so, I mean, we're just constantly pushing that out. And the greatest um, creative, productive, restorative force that there is, is God. And so if you are just, constantly pushing and going for that it's like the ultimate in relying on humanity rather than relying on god um we're we're just i want to know what you're saying and i want to know what you're saying and i want to know what you're saying and i want to know what you're saying but what is god saying
1: and um i think that when it comes to trying to establish that alone time and that quiet time and sometimes it's not easy to just go from one extreme to the other Mm -hmm. um it does take steps kind of like what we've been talking about uh to make a practice out of it or even just a singular instance of it it takes um some time and practice whether in the little steps that you can take to tech detox or there are things that you can do to enter into quiet time that aren't necessarily quiet in themselves like i find myself if i'm just really unfocused but i feel like i just need to take some time and listen for god's voice um i'll I'll sing, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll bring music um, out of myself, not into earbuds, right. uh, but just out of myself and just sing to the Lord and just have a time of worship that starts to reorient myself toward listening for Him. And even that's difficult sometimes because I just feel myself being pulled at by all of the, um, the myriad factors of life and my mm-hmm. thoughts start to wander and and i get distracted once again really just by my own mind sometimes yeah. not even by tech but sometimes you can you can do things like that that kind of ease you in to a time when you are intentionally listening for god and by definition not not engaging in all of the in all of the the screen stuff around you
0: yeah that seems like analogous kind of to the craft thing especially in your case because you can actually pull out a guitar and play if you so chose. I can't do that. I used to play drums, but uh, you don't play drums.
1: A lot of these days, I can't really do that either, because every time I want to get my guitar out at home, that also just coincidentally happens to be the time that my daughters all want to play my guitar. Right. And, you know, we don't have a big house or anything... I say, you know, these these units that we're in, they're probably bigger than other units around us in our in our seminary's family housing, but they're not big houses. No, um, and so there's not a lot of room for that.
0: Yeah, but that is that like, kind of goes with that, like that singing. Even if that's not a craft, you're like engaging your mind, and that's that. I think you know, kind of prepares a bridge to be alone with your thoughts. But that's. About it. Do you have anything else you want to add to this, Jason?
1: I can't say as I do. Um, This episode has been kind of inspired by your experiences and your desire to bring those kind of full circle to what we were talking about last time. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I'm happy just kind of chiming in and, and offering a little bit of mine here and there.
0: Yeah. So if you have anything that you would like to tell us about your own tech experience, we would love to hear from you on our Facebook page. Um, And Jason's going to give you the details for that. But if you've got that or you have some pushback or anything you would like to share, please do so.
1: Yeah, and you can send us that communication via our Facebook page, Surviving Seminary Podcast. You can also find our email address there if you'd like to send an email. You can send us a direct message through the page as well. And again, as Kevin said, we would love to hear from you. And we would also appreciate it if you would subscribe to the podcast uh, or like the page or any of those number of things that you can do to follow along with uh, what we're talking about and give you more opportunities to give feedback as well. So with that, we thank you for listening today, and we hope you come back again soon. Bye.